Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Brittany. Hello, Vola. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. I am excited to have you on to share your amazing story of how you paid off $138,000 of your student loans in less than three years. Before we dive in, please tell us who you are and what you do. So I am Brittany Halford, born and raised in Flint, Michigan. I am currently residing in Boston and I'm an internal medicine physician. I'm a wealth coach. I love all things QI and lavender and honey ice cream. I am married to a physician and I have two children. So that's like the abbreviated version of who I am and what I do. Well, thanks for sharing. We we have had a couple of physicians come on here to just share their financial journey. And I guess I would categorize you as a high income earner <laughs> as a physician. But I think for those of you who are listening, the key to keep in mind is that the steps are the steps, the process is the process. Mm-hmm. And regardless of your income, the process of paying off debt, adjusting your mindset, getting yourself in that in that space to take action and be persistent and build a discipline. It all, it all matters. So Brittany, I'm so excited to, to hear about your journey. So please tell us more about how you got into the $138,000 of student debt to what contributed to this. Yes. Thank you. And I'm so happy that you opened up with that just words of wisdom of sorts, because I've had a few people approach me actually to say, well, the only reason why you were able to do that was because of your income. And I wholeheartedly just echo everything that you said. It takes discipline. It takes mindset shifts that allow you to actually pay down debt and strategy as well. So I completely echo that. And while we're on the topic, there are people who make tons and tons of money who there's an episode we did on the podcast a couple of years ago about an accountant who came and talked about, I think she had filed like a 30 a $40 million tax return. And the person was still living paycheck to paycheck. Don't remember the episode, but it's on here. And we've had women come on the podcast who are low income earners, mid-range earners who have paid off crazy amounts of debt because they got creative. They got like tactical, they got hungry. So yes, you have a high income. There's no shame in that. Own it, embrace it. That is incredible as a woman earning money. 
I mm-hmm. love to see. Yes. And so, but the steps are applicable, right? The timelines are different. Our lives are different. Our fingers are not all equal, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So you take what's relevant to you, apply, and you make your own plan for yourself. So yeah, don't listen to yeah. people when they say that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, it is so much more about what you do with your money than necessarily about how much money you make. Yes, that's a factor. I'm all for women making more money and negotiating salaries and earning more. But, you know, it has to be both, not one or the other. Yes. So getting into how I accumulated $138,000. Well, when I started medical school, so I went to the University of Michigan for undergraduate. And being a Michigan resident, I had in-state tuition. And my family, I grew up, I didn't know this at the time. I thought we were always middle class, but actually for a portion of my life, we were living at or below the poverty line. My mom shared with me a pay stub from when she worked as a banker and, you know, it was a single parent household with three children. And so I did some calculations retroactively. I'm like, oh, yeah, we were we were actually living at the poverty line. And so how I got into the debt is because my parents unfortunately did not have the money to fund my education. And my father knew that because my father had, you know, both of my parents went to school, my dad a little bit more traditional in his path to education and pursued graduate degrees. So he sat me down when I was 16. And he basically told me that he had no money for my education and that it was mostly on me to fund my education, that he would give me an allowance of sorts to help me with, you know, getting my hair done or going to the movies, but that I should not have this expectation that he was going to pay for my education. So I knew, you know, at that young age that there's one thing that I really have done well And that was, I was so good in math and science. I was good at being a student. I was a good student. And I knew that there were scholarships available. And so I applied and was fortunate to be awarded the majority of scholarships to fund my college tuition. And then as a second year, I applied as a resident advisor. So I had most of it paid for. And when I graduated from college, I had $10,000 remaining in which I paid it off that summer before medical school. So I effectively started medical school with a blank state. I was back to broke. And then I just had to slide on the dotted line to have enough money to afford living in Chicago and to afford a medical school education. I had some scholarships for medical school as well. And that's why when I graduated, it was only $131,000. At that point upon graduation, we meet with an advisor and she basically told me to go for public service loan forgiveness and to consolidate my loans and to start paying them under, at that time, I think the the effective term was an income-based repayment plan, but now we know income-driven repayment plan because there are multiple repayment plans. And that's what I did. And during that time, there, I think, was no repay option. So the interest that my payments did not cover just added to the principal. And when I graduated from residency after three years, I had $135,000 
of student loan debt. Now, sometime during that period of time, I realized that I don't know if PSLF, the public service loan forgiveness, is going to be my path mm-hmm. to paying off the student loan debt. And as a third-year resident, we were afforded the opportunity to do moonlighting. For those of your listeners who are not in medicine, basically that is when you can pick up additional shifts and work and you earn outside of a resident salary. So at the time of my residency, I earned about 55 to probably $57,000. And when you moonlight it, you earned, I don't know, more like $100 an hour or something like that. I don't actually remember what the rate was at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was able to earn more money by picking up some of those moonlighting shifts and therefore put some of that money and directed it towards paying more on my student loans. So that's what additional payments that the loans grew to 135,000, 4,000 extra of interest. Mm -hmm. So after that, you know, paying it off over a period of two years and nine months total, then it accumulated an additional $3,000 of interest. And that's how I got to the 138,000 that, that I paid off. Mm -hmm. So question for you, right? So you finish your residency, you start working as an attending, you're making a good salary, your partner, your husband is also making a good salary. I'll tell you that that most physicians don't come out of medical school wanting to pay off student loans. (laughs) (laughs) They come out with the high income wanting to, because, you know, you are in school an extra, what, five to 10 years if you go into specialty than the average person, right? So after your four-year degree, you go into a residency program of three to seven years. And then after that, if you go into a specialty of one to three years, like it's a lot of school. And so they feel like when they come out, some people do that. I want to enjoy my life a little bit. I'm earning a good salary. And so student loan payments, accelerated payments are not the priority. So when you came out and you started getting your real paycheck, right? Your real doctor's paycheck, and you had $138,000 in loans, why did you decide that you needed to pay this off then and in such a short period of time? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I could say that when I decided that I needed to pay them off, that transition from getting loan forgiveness to now being fully responsible and accountable for this payment that was sparked by uncertainty. And I personally don't like uncertainty very well. And how I control that emotional response to uncertainty is by trying to put together a plan that seems strategic and logical with a determined outcome that feels comfortable for me. And so out of that uncertainty, I said, well, I don't know, because at this time, let's see, I graduated from residency in 2016. So at that time, no one has had actually gotten public service loan forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so I was unsure if this was going to work. You know, you had to recertify your employer every year. You needed to keep track of your payments, et cetera. And it required me to work full time. And I just didn't like having those stipulations placed upon me. And so therefore, 
I said, well, what can I do that seems reasonable, that seems logical, that will help to ameliorate this feeling of uncertainty that I have? And that was by me taking ownership and control over the student loans instead of relying on government forgiveness. Now, yes, you're right. We delay gratification in medicine. And some of us graduate from residency and we want to travel and we want to do all of the things. And in my journey to pay off my student loans, I also did those things. But what I did was I focused on joy, the things that mattered most to me. And that's why my financial coaching business is called More Joy, More Wealth. And this is what I teach my clients to do. Because during that time, and so yes, my husband is a physician, but at that time, when I graduated from residency, he was still in residency. And so he was not making a typical physician salary. Yes, definitely more than most, but he also did not contribute to my student loan payoff. I think mm-hmm. the maybe like a couple of thousand at the very end that we just used of our emergency fund just so that I could pay it off. So he was not an active participant in my payoff strategy. Yes, he helped because he was making money. And so therefore our living expenses, such as you know rent, electricity, et cetera, were shared and I could offload some of those expenses. But we traveled to Thailand, we traveled to India, we traveled to Hawaii, we had a baby, and we ate out, we went to our friends' weddings, we supported our family. So I was doing, and I invested, maxed out my 401k, invested in a a taxable brokerage account, invested and maxed out my Roth IRA, all while doing this. So I was not depriving myself. While I paid off debt, I shifted my focus. And when you're thinking about money, my husband and I actually just had a conversation about this. He's like, well, when you think about our strategies to, you know, creating more wealth opportunities, your focus is on savings and where his focus is on increasing his earnings. And I believe that there are opportunities for me to do that as well. But why spend more for something or why waste? Especially my mom has always told me, you don't want to waste things because we didn't have anything to waste. So like every single drop of that lotion, you cut in that bottle of the toothpaste of the lotion, you're getting every single piece of it. And so I knew that I could still enjoy my life by focusing on what mattered to me about putting on the headphones and the blinders and not adhering to societal perceptions of what a doctor should be or what a doctor should do or what a doctor should drive. Mm -hmm. And that I was able to understand that traveling and having new experiences and supporting my family is what brings me joy. And so I did those things. I prioritized those things and the things that don't necessarily matter to me, like eating out or you know, having the best car, I still drive my 2006 Saturn, my Saturn Ion. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't allow others' perceptions of what I should do as a physician to influence how I made my money decisions. I made my money decisions by being introspective and by prioritizing what mattered most and then diverting any additional funds to my financial goals, albeit investing or paying down my debt. Mm-hmm. 
I love the approach that you took where you didn't sacrifice living a quality life and doing the things that you and your husband love while you focused on paying off debt. And like you mentioned, that was because you were being strategic, right? And being mindful of where your money was going so you could do the things that you enjoy and still prioritize paying down that debt. And yes, for some people, they may decide, you know what, I really want to pay off the debt. I want to accelerate how quickly I pay off my debt. Maybe they don't have an income as high as you and they decide to sacrifice certain things. So we're not going to travel. We're not going to go out to eat for X amount of time until we get ahead with this debt. That's an option as well, right? That's stuff that anybody can do short term. But then also looking at it from your perspective, okay, we do have this income as opposed to taking this extra money and flying first class, <laughs> let's put it towards the debt. The idea of not wasting, because we're all working with limited incomes, right? No income is just like without cap. Everybody has a cap to their income. And when you look at what you're earning and you think about where can I cut back on the waste, you'll be surprised at how much you can save. Actually, just this morning before we talked, having a conversation with my friend and she asked me, am I going to get my nails done? And I was like, I rarely ever go to get my nails done. I usually do it myself. And I was thinking to myself, like if she goes every two weeks, I mean, around where I live, a pedicure and a manicure, like a gel pedicure and manicure that lasts two weeks, I think it's about $85 or something. You add a tip, so let's say $90, $100, right? If I was doing that every two weeks, over six months, that's $1,200. That's a, mm-hmm. a chunk of money that is a trip. It's something for my kids. It's shopping. It's whatever I want to do, right? Because I chose not to go do my nails. It's mm-hmm. savings, it's investment. So thinking about it that way, would I like to go do my nails all the time? Yeah. But number one, I don't have time. Number two, I don't really enjoy sitting there waiting. <laughs> so why not put that money to something else? So when you are thinking about your budget, think about it that way. What are the things that you truly, you want to have going out to eat, spending time with your friends, going to the movies. That's all great. What are things that you don't really care about getting your nails done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like those type of expenses, then cut them off and put the money towards the other things like saving, investing, paying off debts, your future vacations, whatever you want to do with that. But like you said, just being mindful and intentional of where your money is going actually helps you free up and really know where your money is going. So I, I love that point. Yes. And thank you for sharing that. You know, one of the things that I think we may have been conditioned to, to believe is that there's a lot of sacrifice required in order to pay off debt. And yes, there is definitely some, Mm -hmm. I agree with, with that. And I think part of what has been extremely helpful for me is to reframe this thought about sacrifice. Because oftentimes I I at least feel that before this reframing, sacrifice felt like I was losing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, a, like a yeah, and that it comes exactly. from a position of deference and a position of obligation But really, if you think about sacrifice or a potential reframe of it, that you're just actively choosing one thing over the other. Mm -hmm. You're just choosing things that serve you over things that don't. And I always tell my clients, like there's one definition of joy that I just really love. And it's elation in the moment and over time. And so sometimes when we're thinking about our money decisions and the outcome of that money decision that what we're focused on is in the immediacy, like that, 
that moment in which you feel the bubbles or you're really excited and then it passes and then there's regret, that's not true joy because it did not last the test of time. And that is really what I ask my clients to focus in on the characteristic of their joy. Because honestly, joy can be expensive or joy can be really cheap and it can be free. And some of the like greatest free, yeah. some of the greatest experiences that I've had have been cost me nothing. And so when you focus in on the characteristic of your joy, then you can still create those joyous moments, those memories without spending a lot of money. I'll give an example. Like I love to travel. And so a lot of women say this too, and I only coach women, so I'm sure a lot of men enjoy traveling as well, but I know this for sure because of my clients and the conversations that I have with with women and, and my clients. And so if we say that we enjoy travel, okay, travel can be expensive, but if you really distill that down to the characteristic, at least for me of travel, why I enjoy is because I'm exploring a new place. So that means I can go all the way to Thailand or Hawaii and explore a new place and it'd be quite costly. Or I could pack up a lunch. I can get with my girlfriends. We put on our hiking gear and we drive an hour. You know, I'm in the Northeast. We go to New Hampshire, we go to Maine and we hike. So yes, we have to pay gas, but we basically, you know, brought everything with us and we're still exploring and I'm still traveling effectively too. And so I can still create joy in that moment. And so I always challenge anyone who feels like their income is capped or this is like not feasible or doable for them because of the income limitation and that there's not enough. I would just encourage you to see if you can reframe some of your decisions to conceptualize a way in which you can make it less expensive but still just as meaningful because that cost differential is your opportunity. And that is your opportunity cost. And I do think that there are definitely some women who are unable to afford their expenses. And yeah, income, you got you to gotta earn more money and we need to strategize about that. But mm-hmm. some of what we can do or and some of what we can do is to just examine our behaviors, our mindset, and really focus on the things that we have control over and execute those very tactically to give us more opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. So I wanted to ask you, on your debt payoff journey, as you were working to pay off your student loans, how did you plan your budget knowing that you had all these things that you wanted to, and of course you had your financial obligations? How did you, I guess, organize your budget to make sure that you were making payments and, and still not falling short, being able to travel, being able to go out to eat, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I use this budgeting method of sorts, I guess, as a joy priority budget. So what this looks like is you have your income. And I think one of the mistakes that we make, and I've made this too, is we're like, oh yeah, we make $60,000. That's what I'm going to budget on. Let's divide that by 12. Okay, I have $5,000 a month to budget on. Mm -mm, That's not your take-home pay. You didn't account for taxes and benefit deductions and, and all of these other things, right? 
So one, you want to make sure that you're budgeting on your take home pay, because otherwise we are always going to be in the negative. So once I had that take home pay, then what I do, and this is why it's called the joy priorities method, is that I write down what are the priorities for me? What are my joy priorities? I like to eat ice cream. I love how honey and lavender. So there was this, you know, ice cream parlor. Okay, every week I want to have my little treat of the ice cream. That brings me joy. I enjoy it. I still think about it. My mouth salivates when I when I think about it. What are some of the other joy priorities? And create a budget for those things so that while you are paying on now the second part of the priorities is your financial priorities that you don't feel as if it's a sacrifice and that you are depriving of yourselves because we know anytime we're depriving ourselves from something that we really enjoy doing, if you think about dieting, soon as you get that opportunity to have it, you're going to splurge, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, oh, no sugar. And then you're like, okay, this is my deadline. Now I can have sugar. You know, you're going to eat like two chocolate cakes, cookies, et cetera. So, so that way, if you're focusing on your joy, then it makes some of those money decisions where you might be pressured by other people to, you just feel a little bit more empowered to say not now, or let's do this instead. You don't necessarily have to say no, right? You can still exert some agency over that, that moment. So I did that. So I kind of flipped the the budgeting method on its head where most people say their income minus their expenses, then whatever is left, let me budget for that. Well, to be your income minus your your priorities, like the things that matter to you, and then that equals your expenses. So I did not allow for lifestyle inflation to dictate what mattered to me. Mm -hmm. I was able to modify my lifestyle because I already focused on what mattered to me. I love that. Modifying your lifestyle because you're already focusing on what matters to you. (laughs) And, you know, like you said, when it comes to budgeting, it's like, again, and we've been talking about this throughout the episode, it's looking at what are the things that are meaningful to me, building them into your budget, prioritizing the fact, okay, I really want to pay off this debt. And then prioritizing, looking at that take home pay after all those deductions have come out, including contributing to your 401k right? It's really important to think about. And I think that's something that people forget. Like you mentioned, like I make $60,000 divided by 12. Oh, I have five grand a month. No, we don't. (laughs) I think eventually people realize it. (laughs) But I think sometimes when people realize that they're already so discouraged about budgeting that they're like, you know what, whatever budgeting doesn't work for me. They've already from the mindset about it because they realize it a little later. But those, those are great tips. Were there any specific tools like apps or worksheets that you use to plan and track your progress? So it's really interesting. Now I use different tools, (laughs) but during, (laughs) during the time I somehow am able to keep a mental record. So my mother, I have spoken about her a lot, but because she wanted to ensure that I spent and got all of the value for my dollars, that she would do mental math with me as a child and say, well, Brittany, you go into the store, this costs this much, you have this much and this on discount, like how much are you going to pay? How much are you going to get back, et cetera? And so in 
medical school, I, I found a sample budget that I did and I didn't fill it out, fill it out completely and didn't really adhere to it. And in this time where I was doing this debt payoff, I think I just had a mental record because I had always kind of carried numbers in my head that way. And you mentioned, and I love this because I hear this all the time that that budget doesn't budgeting doesn't work for me. And I think one of the reasons why we say that, that it doesn't work is because we kind of use a budget like a set it or forget it crockpot <laughs> where we're like, okay, here are the numbers. Let me sit down. Let me plan out the numbers. And then the budget is supposed to like magically make everything work out. No, that's just numbers on a page. Yeah, it's having- just, it's just it was just letters and numbers on a piece of, <laughs> on a spreadsheet, on a piece of paper, on, in your app. It only means what you want it to mean. <laughs> Otherwise, it means nothing. You don't have to follow it. <laughs> exactly. And so now what I do is, yeah, I work out all of the numbers and then I give my budget structure and I ask myself, where do I need this to function for a hundred percent certainty that these numbers are going to get paid? These bills are going to get paid. And why is that? Why do I need this budget to function this way? Where do I need this to flow? And I actually didn't think about flow until I worked with a client who said, budgeting is not going to work for me. I'm going to set it up and then I'm not going to do it because for her, there was some interference there and how she operated and what brought her joy and what made her feel free and that a budget restricted that. So now I start to think about how do I need this thing to flow? And for some of my clients, what that means for them is allowing this latitude of fluidity in their budget in a certain aspect so that they don't feel as if they need to check an account every time they want to make a purchase. And so we really use this allocation and separation methodology that allows for that function because I want my bills, my my mortgage to be paid on time, right? That's automated. And I've calculated for that. But also this area of flow and freedom where there's an account that if I want to use this money from this account, I don't have to check in on a day-to-day basis. Yes, your budget needs monitoring to make sure that everything is going through properly because we know there are technological errors that happen and things, you know, somebody might do something in your account and makes it have an additional mortgage payment. This happened actually to my client once before. She was like changing some dates and then she had an additional payment. And so you want to monitor to make sure that the execution of that budget is happening as you planned. But if you only put the planning part and you don't plan the execution, the actions that are required to make that budget work, then the budget is going to fail. And if you don't build in that freedom and the flow to the structure of your budget, then it's going to feel as if it's overwhelming, that it requires too much work and that you feel restricted because now the budget is dictating you and your money move instead of you dictating the budget. Mm -hmm. And so now, you know, we use a spreadsheet that I build out for my clients. And what I really love about it is because sometimes when you put the numbers on a spreadsheet, it can be extremely overwhelming. And because there's just too many numbers and it's like, how do I make sense, especially for someone who's not 
mathematically inclined or numerically inclined, it can be overwhelming. And so what I've done is I've created this spreadsheet that I use and I actually need to go back and update because we're having some changes in our childcare costs. So I do this every time we have like a big a change alteration, our, our daughter is transitioning to a new school. And so now I need to rebudget just to make sure that all of the numbers work and we have an additional you know, financial goal that we want to achieve. So the spreadsheet allows you to say like, okay, is this for joy? Is this for, you know, housing, et cetera, to do the categories? And then is this a want, a need, or is this a fixed or a variable expense? And by creating this, this budget, and I didn't do all the formulas, I got some assistance with this, but it allows for the importation and the categorization of those transactions of those expenses to now be distilled down into a digestible format that does not feel very overwhelming, but informational that you can base your decisions on. And so I use that as a resource. And then I also use the Mint app because I mentioned that I do this, you know, like every three months or if there's a big change. So I'm not doing the tweaking of our budget on a day-to-day basis because we're mostly using kind of this reverse budgeting where we know I have a mental model of what our cash flow is. And so I don't have to check every single thing now because we have enough income and you know we've paid off all of our student loan debt and now we only have our mortgage and our expenses. So I have enough of a mental model that I've built in a lot of flow and freedom into our budget. And so how I monitor is I monitor some accounts on a monthly basis and I monitor some things on a weekly basis. And I use the Mint app. It's free because I'm frugal (laughs) and it gives me what I need. You know, it gives me what I need in a quick glance. And I have set up certain alerts and reminders that it helps me to make sure that everything works out as planned. Mm -hmm. That's great. I use a spreadsheet as well. I do not use an app. I used to really like Mint. But I just found that our finances were a bit more unique where there was so much manual effort on my part. And I was mm. like, I just, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. You, sure. So I just stick <laughs> to my spreadsheet. And I, I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times before, but I used to be the person that was very, very like zero based budgeting down mm. to the last cent. But, you know, as time progressed, as my life got busy, as I got more comfortable with budgeting, I just, I do more of a reverse budgeting now where I make sure all my bills are paid and the bills include our savings and investments, like all the things that we want to do that are built in as a bill that we pay ourselves. And then everything else is just (laughs) like, it is what it is. Like, I don't have to keep track of it because I know all of the main cover. I don't have to say, oh, how much did I spend on gum? How much mm-hmm. did I spend on right. as long as the, the money is there? And I kind of do a little bit of mental math knowing that, okay, this is how much I have. And I, I know I'm not going to spend certain amounts of money on certain amounts of things because it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. There's so many different ways to budget. You can create hybrids of different budgeting methods combined. You can use spreadsheets, apps, you know, all kinds of things, but it has to fit into your lifestyle. It has to be something that you're able to keep track of, something that you're happy to open. It's something you're happy to update. So Brittany, I I wanted to ask you about mindset and attitude, and you sound like you have a really positive, strong mindset. (laughs) So how do you maintain your positive mindset and how did you keep your your mindset on track while you were paying off your loans? Mm. 
Bola, it makes me so happy for you to say that it sounds like I have a positive mindset because I used to describe myself as a woman who sees the world with a glass half empty. And through, you know, understanding some of the literature behind just being positive, manifesting through work with a therapist, to be honest with you, (laughs) I've started to reframe a lot of things. And to be honest, when you think about like shame or guilt, those are very extremely strong negative emotions. And one of the categories of women that I work with are women who have debt, because that's my story. That's my narrative. I understand that. And what comes with that is a lot of emotional guilt and baggage, especially if it's consumer debt. And the way that you eliminate that shame, that guilt that's holding you down is by an expression of gratitude. So I teach my clients how to express gratitude towards any, anything you know, their debts, et cetera. And I actually practice that, you know, when I'm feeling down about, usually it's how effective I've been with my time and how much I've accomplished because I always fill my glass too full that I always go back to reflect, okay, what were the positive outcomes of the things that you've done today? And sometimes it's just so simple of, I've taken a shower or I used the bathroom without my kids interrupting me, et cetera. You know, sometimes there are days like that. And sometimes there are days in which I have a long list of positive things that I can reflect upon. And so when you're paying off your debt, especially if there are sacrifices in the typical sense that, you know, I have two girlfriends and they're living their best life. Literally, they don't have any children and they are traveling the world And so if you feel like, oh, you know, I have committed to this goal of paying down this debt in this period of time, and I'm not going to be able to go on that girl's trip, what can help to keep you motivated, at least for me, was seeing the numbers go down actually made paying off my debt a game. (laughs) My husband... (laughs) <laughs> we'll probably share some stories when, when of where... a way to look at it though like a game right yeah. you're winning this game yes how, how can you keep it. winning how can you yeah how can you what can you do to win yeah beat the interest <laughs> yes exactly beat the interest that interest don't sleep like I that, love that. <laughs> so you gotta you're using some magical powers exactly so by gamifying it it has been it it made it quite interesting to see oh how low can I get like the utilities bill. And I would unplug the microwave and unplug the TV. And my husband, to his chagrin, oh my gosh, he's like, listen, Brittany, this TV resets. I got to keep logging into Netflix. Like we can't unplug the TV. You can continue to unplug the microwave. So that was one way to gamify it, to focus on my goals, to see that the number actually, that my actions, that the decisions that I was making were actually leading to an outcome. Mm -hmm. And Oftentimes, I feel that the perception about investing and the interest on investing versus the interest of paying down your debt, even if it's the same amount of money, one feels inherently better than the other because Mm -hmm. you are gaining, you see a number increase that feels good. 
And in turn, when you, you're paying off your debt, you see the number decrease, that also feels good, but it doesn't, it doesn't light up your brain in the same way. But when you're paying down your debt, it is a guaranteed return on your investment. If you're investing in, let's say, the stock market, and we know that sometimes that can be volatile, that that return may be diminished, you know, depending on a market or a headline or et cetera. So that was one of the ways that I also just conceptualized it like, oh, I just gave myself a 5% interest boost, you know, by doing and by paying this off quickly Mm -hmm. and calculating it that way and thinking about that as a positive, like I would see an investment. So some of those pathways, and then also, you know, focusing on your joy. So you know, if you have to sacrifice that girl's trip, but you have this other thing that you actually budgeted for, really reflecting on that, because studies have shown that is that anticipation that actually gives us those dopamine hits, those endorphins that allows that moment to feel good to us, not the actual moment, you know, it's not really the the win. If you think about gambler, gamblers, it's the anticipation of the win, but when you actually win, that doesn't feel as good as the, the prospect of winning. So those were some of the things that I did to keep me motivated. I love that. I love that gamifying the process, gamifying your investing, gamifying your debt, pay off your savings. It just gives you a fresh motivation, a different perspective. And then the gratitude aspect, that's something that I really focus on because there's sometimes I just get caught up in everything that's wrong, everything that's going wrong, everything that's not working, glass half full kind of thing. In that moment, I can forget all of the amazing things, all of the progress, all the success, all the awesome things I have going. And I just have to remind myself that gratitude is something that I am very intentional about. So I don't go down some random useless rabbit hole that I have no business being down thinking about stuff that makes no sense. (laughs) Then complaining and then you become that person. (laughs) No, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. So I, I love those tips. When you look back at your journey, paying off your debt and what you did, right? How you did it. Is there anything that you'd have done differently when it came to how you approached your repayment strategy? Or are you happy with how you did it? Would you have made more sacrifices so you could have paid it off in less than three years and two years and one year? Would you have extended it so you could have paid it off in five years, six years, 10 years? Like, is there anything you'd have done differently? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. <clears throat> I am trying as much as I can to live a life of no regrets and to have no regrets, because I do believe that everything that happens is not coincidental. Everything, like nothing is a coincidence. There is by pure design and that we may not understand the meaning of a moment at that time, but there's meaning. So in that, I don't regret the way that I paid it off or anything about it. Now that I am a financial coach for women, what I help them to do based upon the learnings from my journey is to better reconcile their emotions about debt. Because as much as we want to think that money is numerical, no, money is not numerical. I mean, yes, it is, but (laughs) it is so much emotional. And so you have to deal with the psychology of money as well as thinking very strategically about money. And for me, the psychology, the emotional part 
of debt really weighed on me. And that's why I, after refinancing my student loans, you know, I refinanced for a five-year fixed term. I paid it off in two years and nine months. If I had reconciled my emotions, if I had learned and probably spoken to a few additional persons, what I teach my clients is to consider if the debt, if you're able to reconcile your emotions, to think logically about how you're utilizing that money. And there are opportunities sometimes to leverage debt in order to accelerate wealth. It comes with a bit of risk. So you have to be extremely introspective about your risk tolerance. And at that point, at that level of maturity and expertise that I had with my money at that time, I would say that my risk tolerance was probably lower. But now I have more tolerance because I have more cushion. I know that money is everywhere and you know we can get access for it, to it, we can create it, et cetera. But what I would teach my clients is to leverage that debt. So say, for example, you refinance your loans and, you know, it's 2023 after pandemic, mortgage rates are not this low right now, but, or refinance rates are not this low. So this is 2023 after the pandemic and refinance rates are not this low, but at the time I refinanced for five-year fix with a 3.5 interest rate. My federal loans were at a 6.8 interest rate. So there is a differential there, right of 3.3%. And I could have potentially just leveraged the low interest rate debt and put more money into the stock market, which you know we typically expect a seven to ten percent return annualized, you know, based upon historical data, depending on what you invest in. So I could have potentially accelerated my wealth generation more easily that way instead of being so aggressive with my debt payoff. But again, you know, you have to do what works for you. And money is emotional and your psychology, your emotional state is imperative because if you feel depressed or anxious or overwhelmed, et cetera, then what that does cognitively to your brain is it elevates cortisol. And we know that when you're in that flight or flight mentality, when those cortisol levels are high, then the prefrontal cortex of your brain that allows you to make logical decisions and we call it executive function, then that ability is going to be dampened because you're stressed or you're depressed or et cetera, fill in the blank, some negative emotion. So you have to be able to reconcile those emotions first. And if you're unable to do so, then your debt payoff is definitely the thing to do, you know? But if you're able to get a handle on that, and you can figure out a logical plan, then maybe you can do some leveraging of the debt because really that's what the wealthy do is that they leverage debt in order to accelerate their wealth generation. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, yeah, you obviously want to live a life with no regrets, but sometimes you think about how could you have done things differently, right? I share that all the time. Like, you know, I used to buy a lot of Chanel handbags and if I had 
not bought the handbag and then said invested, I would have like 300% more, 500% more money. But guess what? On the flip side of that, price of Chanel handbags have gone up so much. I remember my first bag, I think I spent $28.50 on it, which is still a lot of money. But that very same bag right now is almost $13,000. Oh, wow. Uh, I've never had a Chanel bag. The frugal nature wouldn't allow it. Yeah. The question is, what do I regret? (laughs) I mean, I have since sold the Chanel bags, but I'm like, do I regret not investing in Amazon stock and getting the 300 or 500% or do I regret selling the bags and not being able to buy it now for $13,000? What is my regret? So I will let all that stuff go (laughs) because if you start reflecting on the shoulda, coulda, Mm wouldas, listen, don't, don't go there. No. What can I do better moving forward? How can I make (laughs) smarter and better choices that I will not have to think about regrets moving forward. And when you do make the mistakes, because it's inevitable, right, that we will continue to make mistakes. What can I learn? What can I take away from this mistake? So for someone who's listening to this, who is like, they have a ton of debt, they may not make as much money as you. They're just trying to get their footing, you know, get motivated, figure out how to gamify this and adjust their mindset about getting out of debt. They know they have a long journey ahead of them. They may not be able to do it in three years like you did. What words of motivation and inspiration and empowerment can you give that person listening who just needs to feel better, motivated, empowered about the journey they're going on right now? Yeah. So if that person was in my living room, I would probably do a little cheerleading, like, you could do it, girl. Let's go. Let's go. You know, (laughs) man, we're always like encouraging others in this household with little dances and chants, et cetera. So that's the first thing that I do. Be your own cheerleader. Put, Put me on your shoulder right there and just know that you are fully capable. And I suffer with a lot of imposter syndrome and questioning of, is this the right decision? You know, can I do this? And just know that you can wherever you are. I like to give this example because I think sometimes we can be so overwhelmed because we're looking at our situation and we're looking at the dollar signs and the dollar signs don't don't meet up. And so the first thing that I want to share is that there's this janitor. I don't know if you've heard about this Bola, but this janitor who basically amassed like $8 million upon his death. And yeah, he died kind of old. I think he was like in his late 80s or 90s. But he passed that amount of money on to the library. And so he was able on a janitor salary amass $8 million, right? So it's not about what you have, how much money you make, but about what you do with it. And just know that Oftentimes I feel like we feel discouraged because we look at somebody else's journey. We look, we're looking to the side and we're like, oh, this person's running fast. They already at the finish line. Shoot, they done laughed me twice. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a runner, right? So they done laughed me twice. What the heck am I doing wrong? Why can't I get ahead? Why this? Why that? And every person's journey is unique is different and is beautiful. And so you mentioned that, you know, you, there's a lesson in the mistake. And I would even add to that, that sometimes that lesson in the mistake is not even for you. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the lesson is for somebody else. It's for your children. It's for your neighbor. It's for the girl who you meet. 
and she needs to be uplifted. And you have this journey, this story that you can share with her that brings her along. And so I just want to just say like, wherever you are along your journey, just know that you're fully capable of doing this, feel empowered and to know that your path is unique to you for a reason. And the beauty of it is, and this is what I love most, is like you're getting started, right? You're starting along that path. You have this goal where some people are still very oblivious of not even wanting to pay down the debt. Like now you have that fire, that that ember that's going mm-hmm. to ignite within you and you just got to keep moving forward. I love that. I love that. So you go, girl. You got this. You, can you got this. <laughs> right. Starting now is better than starting tomorrow. Start mm-hmm. making, create your plan. Even if you don't have the money, create your plan. Assess your kitchen, your closet, your garage. What can you sell? Even if you don't have the cash in the, in the bank now, the one thing you have the power to do is plan. Mm-hmm. Plan, plan, plan what to implement. And a lot of people, they're like, I don't have money to pay off my debt. I can't do anything. You can do something. You can bring out your spreadsheet. You can take an assessment. You can take pictures and post them on eBay and Poshmark and take things to the consignment store. You can think about what kind of low cost or zero cost side hustle can I start to bring in money? Just what can you do? What can you mm-hmm. do even if you don't have the cash now to help you start moving forward? And I will also say that even if you have a, a lot of debt and you only have small amounts to pay, pay the small amounts. Pay, pay the, small, the small amount. Every small amount you pay inches you forward. It might be a slow snail, tortoise, turtle move forward, but you are moving forward regardless. And when you make those small payments here and there, here and there, here and there, when you look back, you'd be surprised at how far you have come. You know, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> and I love that. Pay the small amount. Do what you can. Another thing that I I would just encourage you to do is seek financial knowledge. Yes. And this was the game changer. I mean, clearly, if they're listening to your podcast, Bola, then they are already seeking financial knowledge because I just have so much benefited from all that you give on your blogs and your podcast. So I'm so grateful to be here and I'm so grateful for you like just leading the way. I just stepped into this financial education space in 2021 like seriously as <laughs> and I have enjoyed watching you. So I just want to say thank you for that. And you know, pay do what you can and then also like with financial knowledge you can be more strategic with what you have. And that's really where, you know, for me, splitting that payment up and making biweekly payments will help to reduce your interest over time. Like student loan debt, and that's a whole nother topic with all of the Biden reforms, et cetera. But student loan debt, you know, the, the debt accrues daily. The same thing for credit card debt. There's an average daily balance for a reason that they take that annual percentage rate and they divide that by 365 and they give you a daily rate. So every day that you're able to do something is going to make a difference. So by gathering that financial knowledge, and sometimes the financial knowledge comes through, like you said, like a mistake and is experiential knowledge, but by gathering that financial knowledge, you can be more strategic in your money moves using what you have more effectively so that it serves you. I love that. Brittany, this has been such a great 
conversation with you. Before I let you go, I have to ask you, what is your Clever Girl superpower? Mm, this is such a good question. I was listening to some of the responses of other, all the other women and guests on your podcast. And I would say that my Clever Girl superpower is making a lot out of a little. I think I just channeled that from my mother and from my grandmother. And that has really propelled me to shift my mindset. You know, a part of the mindset comes from scarcity of not having enough, but it didn't stop there. Like, yes, I feel the pressure that I don't have what I need, but then like, how can I create it based upon what I have? Mm -hmm. And that has allowed me to create so many meaningful moments in my life to create opportunities for us and for me to reduce my costs because I'm like, listen, we ain't going out and buy it because we ain't got money for that. So let's figure out how we can make the most out of what we have. And just being able to multiply and achieve goals using what is the tools that are available to you is really my Clever Girl superpower. Sorry, that's like a long-winded answer, but that's what it is. <laughs> that's a great superpower to have. Thank you for sharing. And then finally, please tell everyone where they can find you, learn more about your coaching business and all of that amazing stuff. Thank you. So you can find me at morejoymorewealth.com or on Instagram, Brittany Halford. And Brittany is spelled very uniquely B-R-I-T-T-N-E. Halford, H-A-L-F-O-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. So feel free to like shoot me a DM and we can connect there. Awesome. And we'll put all that information in the show notes. Thank you so, so much, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.